Well, it's good to be uh, here uh, in Laconia again. Uh, I know there's a lot of, lot of familiar faces and some unfamiliar ones. Uh, my wife Connie and I served with uh, Lakes Region Vineyard and before that InReach Ministries for uh, nearly 20 years. But last December we uh, moved our uh, permanent home to Florida. So, uh, as I said, we, uh, we were snowbirds for eight years, and uh, then we just became birds. Yeah, I, I'm not sure which ones, but it's, 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 it's hard to soar with eagles when you live around so many turkeys. But anyhow, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and... Uh, We've been traveling around, visiting family and friends, and uh, we counted up yesterday. I think, Connie, we said we, we had slept in seven different beds since the 1st of July. <laughs> so we're getting to try out a lot of places, and I sometimes feel like, you know, this bed's too hard, this bed's too soft, this one's just right. Anyhow, the one that's just right is, is still in Florida. But anyhow, it's good to be here to fill in this time and uh, to share the word with you. I always consider it an honor uh, and a privilege to do this. So we are going to be focusing today on a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and uh, so, but before we do, let's 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 pray and and uh, just uh, turn everything over to the one who died for us. Father God, I thank you once again for the privilege of sharing your word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I have hidden it that I might not sin against you. Now, Father, as we pro proceed through this passage of Scripture in Matthew, Lord, may all of our ears be open to hear and our eyes to see and our hearts to receive, Father, what the Spirit would say to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> We're continuing our uh, series on Jesus is Lord, and this is week number nine, and we will find out today that he has the keys of the kingdom and wants us to have them as well. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We'll begin at verse 13, but uh, first I want to share one key verse for you. If you don't have a Bible or don't care to read along, you can watch it on the screen. The key verse of all this passage is verse 25, where Jesus says, "For excuse me, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, this verse requires some investigation. This is a verse that uh, I have read a number of times. I've probably read through the Gospels eight or ten times, and uh, I've always been fascinated by this verse and thought, well, I wonder what, what was Jesus really saying here, but it's one of those, I'm sure you've had that moment, you, you come across a scripture that sort of uh, triggers something in your spirit, but 
you know, you, eh, okay, I'll, I'll get to that later. And uh, you, you move on to something else. But uh, this verse became uh, extremely meaningful to me recently, and that's what I want to share with you. But Jesus said this, and what are the implications? What were the implications for me? What are the implications for you to saving your life by losing it? So let's go through. You really have to go back a few verses to get the full impact of what Jesus said and why he said it and who he said it to. And so I like to start at chapter 13, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 16. And there it says that when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he raised a question to his disciples. Now, Caesarea Philippi is in the very northern part of what would today be modern-day Israel. It was a, a place set aside. It's the, it's the place where the, the, uh, the Jordan River flows essentially out of the ground. It's a spring that makes its way downhill and becomes the Jordan River. It's a beautiful place. And I can picture Jesus there with his disciples, and perhaps they've shared a meal, and they may be sitting around a campfire or, or just enjoying each other. And he, as Jesus often does, starts his conversation with a question. He says to the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so, in verse 14, they say, well, some say you are John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. They're divided in their opinions of who Jesus is, as are many of us today. When this question is asked, depending upon who is responding to it, you may get the same. He's a good teacher. I'm not so sure he even existed. Uh, you know, I'd like to know more about him. Maybe, maybe so, maybe not. Who do men say that I am? But then he says, he brings it down, he focuses in a little bit, and he says, but who do you say that I am? This is a question for each one of us. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? And Peter speaks up. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow, what a response. Who do you say that I am? And Jesus answers Peter by saying, you didn't get that by reading the newspaper or watching a show on TV, Peter. You didn't get that in school. No, this has been revealed to you. It's a secret has been made known to you by the power of God. It is a revelation. Listen, just about everything that I know about God and about his son Jesus has come to me by revelation as I read his word. His word is, as I said, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is the word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him, though I do sin frequently. But nonetheless, it is a guidebook for me. It has all the answers for me and for you the questions of life. Sometimes you have to look a little harder than others to find them, but they're in there, trust me. It's in the book. 
You can count on it. It's in the book. And that's right. It's there. So, Jesus speaks up. And he gives this revelation. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me tell you, just briefly, a little bit of my own journey with Jesus. I didn't know Jesus except anything other than a frequently used expletive in my language until I was 40 years old. And I often wonder about that. You know, people use the name of Jesus in in vain a lot. I often have wondered whether if a Muslim hits his thumb with a hammer, he says, oh, Mohammed. Yeah. I'm not sure. But you know where I'm coming from. But at, at, at 40, I was 40, and I was, I didn't need God. I didn't need Jesus. I was doing fine, just be, doing my own thing. I mean, hey, I was married, I had a wife, I had three kids, I had a good job in Boston, I had a nice house, two cars in the driveway. What did I need God for? But in his unique way of revealing himself to me, he began to show me that without him I was nothing. All those things were nothing. They were nothing at all to me. And so in the month of November, I went before the Lord and was baptized in his name, and life has never been the same. It's been a journey. It's, been, it's had its rough places. It's been a journey, but it's a good journey. And I know where I'm going. Amen. Do you know where you're going? But anyhow, enough about myself. Simon Peter says you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The revelation has come to Peter, and he speaks up. Don't you love Peter? I like, I like Peter a lot. He, I, I see myself in some of him. I think you, you probably do too. He's sort of the chief of the apostles. He's recorded saying things more often than any of the other apostles. And often he's putting his foot in his mouth or engaging his mouth before his brain is in gear. But, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll say things like this. Uh, but he often does otherwise. You know, he, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet in the upper room on the night of his betrayal, and he comes to Peter, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, but I've got to. Well, he says, if you're going to, but don't, don't just wash my feet. Give me a bath. And Jesus said, you don't understand, Peter. Unless I do this, you've got no part in me. He says, I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. And yet, within a few hours, he's denying he even knows him. Even after Christ is resurrected and they're on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and there's that conversation between Jesus and Peter where Jesus says, do you love me? Three times. Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. And then he begins to share what's going to happen to Peter at the end. And Peter says, well, 
What about that guy? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus said, you know, that's no concern of yours, Peter. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Don't you love Peter? I love Peter. I see some of myself in him sometimes. I think you do too. He's sort of an everyman. Like, like many of the key figures of the Bible, we see not only their strengths but their weaknesses. We see not only their solidness but their wishy-washiness from time to time. So after Jesus tells Peter, this has been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven, then he says in verse 18, and I say to you, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom." And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What a, what a, what a gift comes to Peter from, from the mouth of Christ. I'll build my church upon this rock. Now, Peter in the Greek is Petros. It means a stone. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to build a rock. Now, the word is the same in the Greek, this rock. But you see, Christ himself is a stumbling block to those who do not receive him, right? And so it's the rock is not Peter. The rock is his confession of who Christ is. And he says the gates of hell are not going to prevail against this. Listen, we are victorious. I've read the end of the book. We win. <clears throat> It's going to be a struggle. <clears throat> Excuse me. The fact of the matter is, the victory's already been won. Christ did it on the cross. We have a few skirmishes to go through in this life, but we are victorious. We are more than conquerors. That means we don't even have to fight. He's fought for us. We're the conquerors. But anyhow, and it is, this verse, of course, is upon which the Catholic Church promotes Christ, uh, Peter as the first bishop of Rome, the first pope. Though there's no indication that Peter was ever in Rome, and he really wasn't elevated to that position until the third century. But that's hearsay. It's, that's not important. That's not important. The fact of the matter is that the keys to, of the kingdom were given to Peter. Thank you, dear. <clears> hmm. <throat> <laughs> where was I the keys of the kingdom and he says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven now <clears throat> I, I want to make it clear that literally this verse reads like this whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. In other words, the way this reads in my Bible and in many Bibles, it sounds like heaven is agreeing with us. But really, it's the other way around. We are agreeing with heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these are the powerful keys. Now, I wondered to myself, what are these keys? And is Peter the only one that got the keys? 
Is he the, is, is, and you notice it's of the king, kingdom, not to the kingdom. In other words, Christ has not handed Peter a set of keys that are going to unlock the pearly gates when we show up. No, no, these are keys of the kingdom. They have to do with kingdom living. And I believe that he has given those keys to every one of us, including me. But now after he makes this statement to Peter, which must have made Peter feel pretty good. Hey, I got the keys of the kingdom, guys. I, I, I just showed Jesus something. Then it says Jesus began now to, first of all, say, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what Peter just said. And then he says he began to show his disciples what's going to happen to him in the not-too-distant future. He says he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be taken over by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, raised. Imagine how that must have fallen on Peter's ears after he's just made this confession, after Jesus has just given him this, this, uh, this special assignment, the keys of the kingdom. And now he says... I'm going to die, guys. And Peter takes him aside. And he begins to rebuke the Lord. This one who just confessed him is now rebuking him. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Well, Jesus turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're a stumbling block. You're a stone in the way of my my assignment. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You see, I think Peter and all of the other disciples had an idea that this guy was going to lead them victorious over Rome. They'd been under the thumb of Rome for more than a hundred years. They had been hoping for those who would defeat the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of David and make Israel what it had been in days gone by. But that was not Jesus' assignment. He had come to die for the world and give not just the Jew, but the Greek and the slave and the free a new freedom, a freedom from tyranny, of sin, not of Rome. But Peter missed it, and I think we miss it often. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're a stumbling block. You're mindful of the things of God. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. Then he says, listen. Listen, guys. Listen up carefully. If anyone desires to come after me, to follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. There are the keys of the kingdom. The ability to deny oneself, take up a cross and follow him. Those are the keys of the kingdom, I believe, and they are given not just to Peter, but to every one of us. Now, denying oneself, Denying oneself means a lot more than 
not having that second helping of dessert because they're really trying to lose some weight. It, it goes a lot further than, than that. I can't think of any other more appropriate illustration. But you get the idea. Oh, I'm really being good today, you know. I passed up that candy bar that I could have had. I feel good, pretty good about myself. I'm denying myself, Jesus. You saw it. He says, yeah, yeah, I saw it. And taking up your cross in another gospel, its place as bearing your cross. Taking up your cross is much deeper and much more meaningful than putting up with a difficult relative that you have to deal with once in a while or an unkind neighbor that ruffles your feathers every once in a while. It's far deeper than that. He says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. And then he says this, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Ah, you know, I've, I've probably read the Gospel of Matthew a dozen times in my, in my life, and I've come to that verse, and it's, I have it underlined. It's, it's, always, it's, it's always puzzled me. What, 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 what's he really talking about? Uh, and maybe you do the same thing. You, you come across a scripture that kind of, you know, it's, it's like a, a pinprick. You say, oh, what, what's that? And you think about it a little bit, and then you, you, just, you decide, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll find out about it someday. And you set it aside. But this verse became very much alive to me in a recent event in my life and made me see what really Jesus meant by losing my life and saving my life. It went like this. <clears throat> Connie and I were having a conversation. And <clears throat> in the midst of this conversation, I began to relate to her something that had happened. And she said to me, you never told me that. And I said, yeah, I told you that. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You know how that goes. The volume goes up, goes up, goes up. And I'm absolutely sure that, she, that I told her, and she's absolutely sure that I didn't. We were at a standoff. Finally, I just threw up my eyes. Okay. Okay, I never told you, but I really knew I told her. <clears throat> you know how it is. <clears throat> but in my quiet time afterwards, I'm saying, Lord. I mean, there was anger in my, you know. Lord, where did that all come from? What happened? He said, you were saving your life. <laughs> you were saving your life. You know, one of the things that I don't like is to be falsely accused. Do you like to be falsely accused? No one does. And when I'm falsely accused, I saved my life. I defended my life. Yes, I did tell you. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I was saving my life. Wow. Wow. So anytime 
the Lord began to reveal that any time that I justify my behavior or that I rationalize, you know what that means? Just, I just well, I know I shouldn't have done it, but hey, he had it coming. That, you know, that's, that's justifying your behavior. Or you rationalize it. Well, I know it wasn't right, but you know, I really deserved an extra piece of pie that night. Don't. Don't do that. You're saving your life. Jesus wants you to lose your life for his sake. Now, the dust settled on that. <clears throat> A few weeks later, at our church in Florida, the, the, uh, once, once a month at our church, the, the, youth, the youth lead the service. And it's usually very good. They, they have, we have a pretty active youth group and some really talented kids. They even do the preaching. And they do the worship and everything. And they decided at the end of the service to have a foot washing ceremony. They wanted to wash the... Uh, started out with they wanted to wash the pastor's feet. And, you know, I'm not real... I don't get real excited about foot washing. <clears throat> foot washing ceremonies, you know, that's, that's a kind of humbling thing. That's the whole point of it. So I'm sitting there. Now, at the time, my wife is back in the Sunday school. She's in the nursery, I believe, right? You were in the nursery. And I'm sitting there. And uh, the Lord is saying, you need to do this. You need to do this. I don't want to do it. You're saving your life, son. So, now if she's in the back, so I catch the pastor's wife's eye, and I say, go get my wife. And I didn't know her, but she was already at the back of the church watching what was going on. But anyhow, to make a long story short, I washed her feet. <clears throat> and that was like, the uh, exclamation point on all this whole thing of losing your life. And so, and you can ask her, she'll tell you, it's been different since then with me. Because, I, I, like I said, I don't like to be falsely accused. I've got to have the last word. I've got to be right all the time. You understand that fully? Yeah. I know I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. That's a man thing. We've got to be right. You know, I mean, my, even I have a good friend. He says, I get the last word in every argument with my wife. Oh, really? Yes, yes dear. But see, but that's saving your life. Even that is saving. Come on, guys. <clears throat> We're supposed to be the head of the house, but as Jesus is the head of the house, we got to be the servant of all, the humble, the humble one who serves. So anyhow, I reached the point of understanding that if I save my life, I'll lose it. And then he puts a little exclamation point on all of this thing by saying, hey, what profit is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Listen, you cannot save your soul. You cannot. Psalm 49, 7 and 8 says, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. This is greatly illustrated in the story in, Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke of the rich man and Lazarus, who the rich man ends up in Hades, and he says, you know, 
send somebody to tell my brothers. And Abraham said, you can't do it. You've got Moses and the prophets. No, that's not enough. Well, you cannot save your soul. You cannot be ransomed. It must be purchased. It says it shall cease forever. That is, there is no way that the soul can be saved other than through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ he shed on the cross. And talk about being falsely accused. Look at Christ in all of his humiliation, dragged before the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, then to Pilate, then to Herod, then to Caiaphas, then to Anna, constantly being accused falsely, being beaten, being mocked, being scourged, and finally hung on a cross, nailed to it through hands and feet, and not a word out of his mouth, not a word of defense. And I think he does say at one time, I could have called 10,000 angels, and they would have rescued me, but that was not his mission. And it's not our mission either to save our lives. They've already been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you see, I've progressed, and maybe you have too. I knew at some point that Christ died for us. Then I understood that he died for me. And if he died for me, then I am free. And so I can say, as Paul said, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one, the Son of God, who died for me. I'm free. I no longer need to save my life. It's been saved for me. The ultimate question, what can we give for our soul? We cannot give anything. We cannot do anything. We cannot gain it. It's been done for us. It's been done by Christ on the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And I'm at the point now where I understand the poor contempt on all my pride. I know what that means. So I don't know where you are, but that's where I am. I have grown more and more to love the one who died for me. While I was his enemy, he died for me. He died for all of us. When I was doing my own thing, he was waiting. Now I'm doing his thing as best I can. And he has promised a glorious future for me and for every one of us. So thank you, Lord. I don't know whether you know Jesus. There may be some here who have never confessed him. You're still maybe wondering, is he who he says he is? And maybe you're here, you've already known him, but you know you've been saving your life a lot more than you need to. And there will be people come up to pray for you, if that's your situation. 
And if you need to receive Christ, there'll be someone who can pray with you for that. You know, it's as simple as confessing him as Christ, the son of the living God, like Peter did. And then the fun really begins. So thank you, Father, for this word, for life in Christ, for life abundant, for the care that you have shown for each one of us that while we were your enemies, you sent your son to die for us. What more can we say than has already been said? Thank you, Father. Bless this group that has gathered here for this word. May they have a rich and glorious day in you. May the blessings of the Lord be poured out upon them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.